You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are the Joes, Will Greenwood, Ryan Livergood, and Jake Patterson. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Joes. This is technically episode 206, initially titled, The Boys Are Back in Town, uh, but only... Uh, yeah, a couple of boys are back in town for this episode. Uh, tonight we have a special guest, and I want to introduce you to the man of darkness, the bane of your existence, the only person I've been in a, in a league with who has made videos on a weekly basis with a costume, great back, background effects, and talking trash on all other league members. The one that will steal their soul with a shitty grin on his face while making a high stakes live bet. During a startup draft uh, to a sucker, the heavily replicated but never duplicated Benjamin Room, PhD. How are you doing, Ben? <laughs> there is no Benjamin Room here. There is only the dark sorcerer worming my way into your mind. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really great to have you on. Uh, I, you know, you know it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, you know, we're on a skeleton crew tonight, but we're going to do the, the, the best that we have here. And uh, I, just, I just really, you know, I really do appreciate you coming on and get your opinions. You are, you were a part of the first ever Dynasty League that I was a part of as I took over uh, a team that was owned by a guy named Randall. And Randall left the league immediately after the startup draft and it had a completely terrible startup draft. And it was Empire. So if you won two years in a row, uh, you know, it's over. And Ben, in the last year, made a trade that the rest of the league complained about to the other owner. He talked a whole bunch of trash. He's like, what are you doing? Ben's going to win this league. He's like, no, it's going to be fun. And then Ben won the league again. Uh, so, I, I, you know, that was a, it was a long-term introduction into you. But then we did a startup draft together. And one of your buddies that you suckered into a live draft bet with one of the top teams in the league, he was going to beat you after you lost like one game. The previous season was one of one of my favorite moments. Yes, uh, that was indeed a very satisfying moment. And of course, uh, let me just say before we continue into this history of the original Empire League that I'm sure with our broadcasting powers, we can create better content just between the two of us than uh, with the rest of you and the Joes combined. Our abilities are uh, are unparalleled and unmatched. Uh, so with respect to the Empire League and your replacement of Randall, I was certainly very pleased to have you join the league. Uh, Randall uh, committed only one act uh, as a member of that league, and that was to trade me Odell Beckham at the peak of his value for Sammy Watkins and some other chaffed, a fifth round pick or something like that. And um, it was later in the league that I was then able to trade Odell Beckham for Devonte Adams and um, and several other very hot up and coming receivers, I believe to our very own Ryan Livergood. Uh, and that set me on the path to success. Having that stable of wide receivers uh, put, put me on the path to long-term success. And of course, as we all know, uh, through a various series of uh, misdeeds, trickery, mind warping, um, and other rhetorical majestic practices, I was able to uh, ultimately take down the league and, and win twice in a row, thus 
resetting the league uh, and uh, sending us back into a, into a new startup draft gloriously. I shall wear that victory uh, upon the lapel of my dark cloak forevermore. And of course, <laughs> I will talk you all with it uh, for, for the rest of eternity. Even as you leave uh, this body, you will hear the laughter of the dark sorcerer in your ears. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's why you're here. Uh, you made some very savvy moves within that. So one, uh, I'm the one that traded Devontae Adams to you because I picked Devontae Adams up off waivers in that league after his maybe like start to his second season when he was just absolutely terrible. I also picked up Tyree Kill off the waivers in that league. I was young in Dynasty. I was a trade maniac. And I was like, I'm going to get the players I want versus these guys, uh, even though I'm going to lose value. And it turns out that in that league, uh, it, it, it cost me dearly, often uh, and forever. That will always be in my mind. But uh, – oh. You know, it's true. I think I got Stefan Diggs in that trade as well. And uh, it was very satisfying. Uh, you know, it's rare that that someone comes to the Dark Sorcerer with an offer I can't refuse. Um, of course, no one could intimidate me into making a trade that I didn't want to make. But uh, the value in the package that you sent me for Odell Beckham was just uh, it was too tasty to refuse. So I I ate those nuggets and uh, enhanced the the flame of my own dark magic. Yeah, and since that point in time, uh, Od- o- Odell Beckham's been on an upward tra- trajectory, and Devontae Adams has been a downward, uh, along with with Diggs. So, well, uh, unsurprisingly, really well. of course, I I am a Raiders fan. The the Dark Sorcerer loves only the darkest team in the league, and although certainly Devontae Adams uh, probably will not be faring better as a result of his departure from Aaron Rodgers, it's very good to see that he has come to the dark side and we'll be donning the silver and black in Las Vegas this season. Yeah. That has to hurt the heart living in a, I mean, based on your background, there's no way you're in San Francisco or Oakland right now, but being a Raiders fan, uh, you know, watching them leave, but let's, uh, let's move on to uh, how stoked were you that they were able to scoop up Samir White in the fourth? I think that's a very tasty pickup right there. Uh, he he is a nice prototypically sized back. Uh, it should give some good competition to Josh Jacobs. I, for one, however, am not out on Josh Jacobs as a talent. Although the Raiders did not pick up his fifth-year option, uh, I do believe that he will continue to be a competitor during this season, and uh, I think he has a, a bright future uh, on whatever team he travels to next within the National Football League. Yes, at the running back position, as one of my favorite quotes of all time. Indeed, uh, uh, always unnecessarily extend all acronyms wherever possible. It's it's part of sports broadcasting in the modern world. Yeah, uh, as I, I talked on Ryan with the la- at the, on the last podcast about uh, my affinity like of of hatred when people say like, and it's not even like I like I don't hate the person for it, but when people say the wide receiver position or the quarterback position or the tight end position. It's like when you say the first thing that you're describing their position. So it, it'd be like, uh, you know, hey, like uh, I'm in a dark sorcerer position. Uh, when you're a dark sorcerer, everyone knows who you are. Exactly. You know, this is a guy who can really make a difference at the evil wizard position uh, in the compendium trifecta of uh, dark wizardry. 
you know, it's as though they're just trying to fill dead airspace, like they don't have anything intelligent enough to say. And and so uh, redundancy abounds within sports broadcasting in this world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as a, like, uh, obviously nobody who's listening knows your, knows your past. Uh, during this year's rookie drafts, I, I, like what was your what was your strategy? How did you go about things uh, in the league that we're still in together? Uh, you you traded back in our startup. Uh, I didn't see your movement in the, the the rookie draft, but but who are your targets and who have you landed the most of so far? Yeah, that is a good question. So I I follow my dear friend and uh, fellow evil wizard JJ da- Zacharyson. Uh, in picking up Isaiah Pacheco wherever I can. I just picked him up off the waiver wire in this league, which is extremely satisfying. I was able to grab him in the early fourth in another league. So that's a late round darling of mine uh, and a, a little tidbit of you for those of you who have not completed your rookie drafts. Um, but generally speaking, I have been pretty excited about picking up any of these first round receivers I think they all look strong. Uh, I'm very happy when people take Kenneth Walker early in these drafts. Um, If I'm in the first eight picks um, and anyone takes uh, Kenneth Walker or quarterback before I'm able to pick, I'm pleased to get any of these of these wide receivers. I think they look all very powerful and clearly imbued with evil magic. Um, So that's that's (laughs) I, I like to grab the running backs in the second and third rounds mostly. I mean, also, you're probably going to lose your voice during this podcast. So if you don't want to keep the keep, keep it going, you definitely you definitely don't have to. I'm I'm committed to excellent broadcasting. I'll keep it going on as long as I can it, until I start squeaking. Uh, no one likes to hear a a dark sorcerer with a with a voice break, but uh, I I will continue to charge and uh, express my dark majesty wherever possible. <laughs> yeah. Also, also good to keep the uh, the voice under you know keep it like it's like one of the people who are sitting in a you know dark room with a shadow on them you're like an anonymous witness uh exactly no no one can tell who i am well you know before i uh i return to my mild-mannered form uh let's just make sure that uh we talk about my origin story which i um you know i think (laughs) it's very important for people to know about which is that um as i mentioned earlier i you know i'm close friends with jj zacharyson Uh, I, too, was a data analyst, and I believed deeply in the value of exploring uh, predictive analytics within fantasy football. Uh, But then one year I realized that, unfortunately, uh, despite all of my most effective calculations, that so much of fantasy football is left up to variance I then did some more scientific exploration and and one night late in my laboratory, I realized that in fact, fantasy football is not predicted by mathematical analytics, but is in fact at the whim of a pantheon of dark gods. They are the ones who choose the outcomes of fantasy football matches. And so it was at that point that I changed my strategy. And rather than doing math, I just decided to make sacrifices to the dark gods. Um, I therefore began a litany of practices, um, mostly sacrificing things, um, small pieces of paper, uh, office supplies, and uh, certain aspects of my dynasty teams 
in order to appease the dark gods for them to bring me victory. And as you can see, this strategy works far better than, than any mathematical uh, practice or tape watching practice could ever offer. So I highly recommend everyone just pick up evil magic uh, as your strategy uh, going forward in 2020. <laughs> it's, it's far more effective. Uh, I, I, I can only assume that JJ would have some disagreements uh, with, with the strategy. Be well, that his whole life is based on based on da data analytics. But he's also not that. But but I know for a fact that he too also engages in various forms of black. Magic. He's also not involved in artificial intelligence ethicism. Uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, the, my alter ego, mild mannered persona. Uh, does, it is my goal in that persona to uh, to help uh, large social media companies to be slightly less evil in their practices. Uh, I was just hoping that you were involved in those uh, like Steeler uh, dummies that they had at training camp like two years ago. They're running out on wheels. Uh, they're basically like a Roomba tackling pad uh, yes. on the field. Yes, I, I, assume... I, I, was, I was involved with the development of those infernal machines. Yeah, and then one went off and uh, vandalized a bunch of cars, and then and ran off into the distance. So exactly, uh, this is why you need an AI ethicist, folks. I'll, I'll turn yeah, it over yeah. now to my alter ego Ben. He can talk more about AI ethics if you want to hear about it. Oh, I have some questions for later in the show. It's later okay. in the show, as we as we get, we get off read off this. But uh, what one part is a uh, Ben? I want to talk just a couple of trades with you. Uh, one is a trade that you were involved in. So yeah, both yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah. 12-team Superflex, uh, you know, the, the rookie test would happen. The A.J. Brown trade had happened. And so you, you moved A.J. Brown and Davis Mill uh, for Dobbins, Pittman, and a 2023 second. Walk me through that process. Yeah, that, that's a good question. And it was an interesting trade that I, I made with my dear friend, Paul. Um, so, you big, know, this, big Eagles fan, by the way, everybody. So, like, yeah, that's make, true. He had some Eagles homerism. And, um, and so that sort of, I think, motivated a little bit his desire to get AJ Brown, obviously, I think the most talented receiver on that team, uh, you know, Devontae Smith, uh, also good, but I think AJ Brown is going to be the clear number one. So we're the most talented wide receivers in the league. Yeah, yeah, he's bonkers. Um, and, you know, I actually drafted him early in our startup draft. I, I think I was at the turn and picked him at the 201. Very excited about him. Didn't have the most thrilling season last year. And and the truth is that the the key motivator behind me moving him, because usually I never, I never move, you know, high-end wide receivers if I can avoid it. Um, but the one thing is that I, I have Jamar Chase in that league. So I felt like I, I already had like a really strong anchor at my wide receiver. I've started to get a little worried about AJ Brown's injuries. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I felt like um, the move to the Eagles at first, I was pretty excited about it having, you know, maybe a slight upgrade at quarterback with Jalen Hurts. Um, because I, I think Tannehill is bad and is not long for that team. So that's going to cause some uncertainty over there. So I was pretty excited. But then as I listened more and more to the DLF Dynasty podcast, to Chris Harris, to, to JJ, uh, I, I realized that, uh, you know, this is not a clear upgrade. He's There's more targets out there. I have Dallas Goddard on that team. They can't both score touchdowns at the same time. And, uh, you know, Paul was excited about it. And I figured, you know, I, I'm also not super confident in the long-term prospects for Davis Mills, although he certainly did play well at the end of last season. And I just figured picking up Dobbins, who could ultimately be like a top three running back if, if his recovery goes well, 
Um, Pittman is a good receiver. I think has a chance to take another step this year in his third year. And then a 2023 second, just to like put me over the edge in terms of like DLF dynasty calculator. It was like, okay, this is a win on paper. I downgrade slightly in terms of the, the stud receiver, which hurts a little bit, but my concerns about AJ Brown ultimately pushed me over the edge into thinking this was a legit trade. And Paul wanted to make it happen. And, you know, this is one of the key things about developing relationships in fantasy leagues, like friendship, man, you know, you, you develop a trust bond with people, people want to make something happen and you want to help them out. Paul won the league last year. And honestly, like he has a chance to win it twice in a row and make me redraft this team. If that happens, it's going to be a little frustrating, but um, at the same time, you know, I, I think I have, it, it ultimately made my team better. Um, and, and I think I'm going to have a strong shot to, to fight Paul and, and I, any other contenders in this league this year. Yeah. So I don't know uh, Paul's, uh, the, his, his, his running back core and what he's giving up here, but uh, I think, I think Pittman has a lot of value upside in dynasty, at least moving forward at yeah. this moment, it, it'll kind of bring us into one of the questions later, uh, you know, talking about any like free agents out there, but Pittman's in a prime position. He's, he has the best arm talent quarterback that he's ever played with uh, yeah. by far. It's not, it's, I don't even think it's close. Yeah. Uh, I think getting the 2023 second coming into next year, that's an insulated, you know, nice little, that's a nice little topper to any other deal you can make in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Dobbins uh, upside is still limitless. I mean, Mark Ingram on, a, you know, with the Ravens was an RB one in that season And right. Mark Ingram at that point in his career. Uh, yeah, can't, can't, touch, can't touch what Dobbins can do. Yeah. Uh, Dobbins won't, Dobbins won't catch passes. That's just in that Ravens offense. Uh, you just have to get, you have to understand that running backs are not going to catch passes. Uh, True. True. The running backs were valuable in that backfield last season. I mean, Tyson Williams was one of the best free agent pickups for like a week and a half <laughs> last year. Uh, you, you, you get to plug and play him. And mm-hmm. the, then they picked up Devonta Freeman and he was startable in a flex spot, which is super important. Uh, right. they, they did, they did lose one, uh, Iowa lineman. I can't remember his name. Oh, why am I, why am I forgetting this? I should know this off the top of my head. But they gained another one in Tyler Linderbaum at center. Mm-hmm. And Tyler Linderbaum, uh, one of his best traits is he is an absolute mauling run blocking center. Uh, right. I think that was one of the best picks in the NFL draft this year uh, for for the Ravens. Uh, they a lot of my, like most of the mocks coming into the season had him outside of the first round. I was like, he's going to be first round or somebody's going to grab him. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see him excel in the NFL as a, you know, proud Iowa grad. Uh, so it's, uh, I'm very excited for that backfield. Uh, Dobbins not being ready for, for training camp. Uh, I don't want to read too much of the rumors because we're in the off season. This is speculation season. So I've, I've been putting, I've been trying to like figure out like offers and what I can give for him. But most people who have Dobbins are holding tight. So I think you got to like a, a, a steal in getting Dobbins. Uh I think on, on the other side for, for Paul, uh, AJ Brown is one of the best receivers out there that, yeah. that you can have. Like, I think he's, uh, you know, top three in talent and what he can do. So if he booms and he's a big Eagles fan, like it's a huge win for him. And if he wins the league with AJ Brown on the team, uh, he, he, you know, he might host his own victory parade through the streets of Philly. Good. As long as he invites me, you know, I won't be mad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would totally go to that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we'll rent, uh, you know, like a, a 97 limo uh, to just, to just like tour around and hang out. So that's really fun. Yeah. In general, but you, you posed your answer to this as in like, 
you were explaining the reason you made this trade, and I think you won this trade overall. I, I, I and just by a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's a fair trade for both ways. I also think Davis Mills is one of the best upside prospects whose value might be at his peak at this moment. Yeah, uh, but he has the opportunity to grow. Uh, you know, let's say you know, say like twenty five percent to fifty in the future. Right. Uh, he. He, he did enough last year where I think like Davis Mills is one of the more underrated uh, second QB or like third QB to have on your Superflex roster. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing that was good for me about Mills is that I picked him up like just, you know, bargain basement. Like he was a total dark throw at the end of our startup draft last year. And so I always like ascribe to this like kind of DLF strategy It's like when you pick up someone for nothing and you can lock in that value into like a real and clear value uh, in in terms of player value, um, there's always there's always some appeal to to taking that approach. Um, So I, I do think Davis Mills has the opportunity to be good. That said, you know, my roster for QBs in this league is already fine. I've got two good starting QBs in uh, Russell Wilson and. our, our young guy from the Chargers. Um, and Justin Herbert. What's that? Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. Oh, mais oui, il est français. Um, and, you know, Paul's already got Tom Brady and Jalen Hurts on his team, so I think Mills is really a backup for him as well. He'll be a nice fill-in for Paul, and, but I just didn't really need him. And it's like, you know, the opportunity then to strengthen my roster, particularly at running back, is, is pretty tasty. Paul was able to let go of Dobbins easily as well. He has Dalvin Cook and, and Aaron Jones already. And then uh, the A.J. Brown rounds out his receiver core with Cooper Cup at the top. So his team's looking very strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the, the, uh, Aaron Jones and having Dalvin Cook, to me, is like they're projected to be like, – like in Dynasty rankings, both those players are moving down heavily. Uh, yeah. They are a win-now roster type of talent. Uh, Dalvin Cook has never been the most healthy – Yep. And Aaron Jones is uh, he's he's fascinating to me. Uh, I have not been able to acquire Aaron Jones in any leagues that I've been in because people don't want to, like I'm trying to send out offers that I think are what's what's fair on the market for Aaron Jones, but nobody wants to move Aaron Jones that has him. And I mm-hmm. own AJ Dillon in a lot of places, and mm-hmm. I feel like AJ Dillon's value might be inflated at this point. Uh, we'll see how this Packers offense works out, but. What, one of the biggest things with that that offense is, I think Aaron Rodgers is still an enigma. Uh, he thinks about retirement all the time. He basically, the, his whole contract is a, is a one-year deal. Like, yeah. the, whatever he signed for, uh, what, what it boils down to is he's there for one year. Aaron Jones, uh, you know, took the the inflated contract for uh, 2022, and his is a one-year deal. So Aaron Jones won't be on the Packers next year is my assumption. Yeah. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers might, might not either. And... I know a, a ton of Packer fans and those people are the most spoiled people on the planet with good quarterback play. They are only behind uh, the Patriots. Uh, and that uh, if, if Aaron Rodgers just like at the, in the middle of the season decides to like hang up the cleats and be done, or at the end of the season is just done. Uh, that offense changes mightily. They do not have uh, another Aaron Rodgers in their back pocket whatsoever. I mean, we might see like, is Andy Dalton going to be up there? With, yeah. with the red and green flashing on the field. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. So that's a, 
yeah anyway it's, it's just a fascinating yeah aaron Rodgers don't grow on trees and uh, they are certainly spoiled you know i in a way it's like kind of shocking that they paid that much to get him back but you know it just it's further proof that he is that team you know it's like they don't care about anything else as long as they can get it right yeah and we move from brett Favre to aaron Rodgers. it's uh you know, you know, life's life's at least going to be good. Uh, it's it's criminal that they've only won one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. That's ridiculous. But let's move on to the next trade. Yeah. So okay. Ben, Ben, I'd like to get the, uh, your opinion on this. Another twelve team Superflex rookie draft. Uh, I moved the two hundred seven, three hundred seven, four hundred seven for Daniel Jones, uh, and the three twelve and five twelve. So let's just let's just boil this down and say that it's the two hundred seven for three hundred seven in a nutshell for Daniel Jones. Yeah, I have concerns about Daniel Jones' talent going forward. Like, I I don't know that he is a long-term dynasty asset. Um, I think if you're looking for a one- to two-year rental, I don't know what his contract situation is. I mean, he's on his rookie contract, right? Yeah, Uh, fifth-year option was not picked up. It was not picked up, right. And I think he's a career backup. He's like Andy Dalton level long-term. So, um, you know, you didn't pay a lot for it. Um, and I, I think he's going to score you some points this year, but I, I'd be a little concerned about, about him in the long run. Is, is this like a, is this a league where you're just looking to get a nice, like third QB for this coming up season? Well, at the, at the 207, I was kind of like an inflection point. I was going to take probably David Bell, uh, okay. with, with this pick. And we were like, the initial trade was just the 207, 307 for Daniel Jones. Uh, and then I was like, well, I'll move back to the 312 and then I'll move the fourth back too. like, I, like, I don't really care about that, but I would like that like 312 for like a stash because at the end of this year's draft, I love the running back stashes, but I like the, at, at the 207 to me, uh, Brian, like, so that the New York giants, uh, organization has been such a, you know, it's, it's been such a mess. Uh, and now you have Brian Dayball coming in, Brian Dayball turned, uh, Josh Allen into what he is now. I'm not saying Josh or uh, Daniel Jones will sniff, uh, you know, you know Josh Allen's shoes in where he is. But uh, if I can get good production out of him as a quarterback, and if somebody else's quarterback goes down in a superflex league, that trade value is worth more to me than what David Bell we David Bell will be for this year, uh, and the rest of the picks. You know, like they're still all rolls yeah. of the dice. Like between that- those, it, it's all fine. That, that reasoning is sound. You know, you didn't spend too much. And I agree the the day ball uh, update for that offense, you know, I think it portends good things. And I mean, my understanding about Dan- Daniel Jones is that like he, he's got some stuff going on upstairs. You know, it's just that he's maybe a little jumpy um, and doesn't quite have the arm talent that you, that you might hope for. Um, and so, you know, it's possible that with a new mind, right. I mean, their, their organization over the past three or four years has been an embarrassment. And I think the problem is that one of the big mistakes they're seen to have made is drafting Daniel Jones, where they did that. Oh, it's horrible pick. I, I think he has the capacity maybe to, um, you know, to smarten up a little bit. And, and if the day ball offense can, um, can support him in doing that at, I agree. Like he, he could take a nice value jump and then you just sell him for, you know, a first and a second so possibly. Right. I mean, we all know quarterbacks are currency in super flex leagues. So you, you can almost never go wrong picking up a decent one. 
Yeah. Also, he's going to be my third quarterback in that league. I have like Andy Dalton and uh, uh, who's the potential starter for the Seahawks? Why am I forgetting his name? Not Drew Lock. Uh, anyway, uh, oh, well, Geno Smith. Geno. Yeah. Uh, uh, who was also in New York back in the day. Uh, but but yeah. So to yeah to me, uh, I I hate like I so I'm a really big fan of David Bell. That that's kind of the problem uh-huh. uh, with the whole trade and, and why I asked for like the extra pick swaps back. Uh, it wasn't just really willing to do it straight up. Um, but in general, yeah, I, I mean, the Giants, their their win projection totals we'll talk about later, you know, moved up with how they're doing it. Uh, I'm actually very excited to how that offense can change. They went from, uh, you know, like McDoofus and then from uh, the special teams coordinator from the <laughs> from New England over there, like, that head coaching staff has been absolutely terrible. They've made some of the worst hires we've seen in a long time. Uh, and now they finally have what we've seen in the, uh, as, a, as, as a competent head coaching staff come in. So I'm excited for the, the Giants players. I think, I think there's a, an interesting opportunity. It's hard to pick which ones. Curious uh, Tony is one of the better – like his, his flash in the pan was one of the biggest flashes in the pan we've ever seen. He had 182 yards receiving – uh, before he socks some dude in the helmet, which is you know smart move overall. Uh, he got kicked Literal out of the game. Knucklehead. Yeah, his talent is boundless. Uh, his intelligence is questionable. Yeah, but uh, that's the that's the whole part part of the Giants. Like I think Kenny, Kenny Galladay could have a little bit of a resurgence. I think I Tony Tony's a great buy low. Uh, yeah. Wondell Robinson is slipping in rookie drafts, and they moved up to get him. Uh, and, and he was the 11th pick in the second round that we've talked about before. Uh, and even Saquon Barkley. Saquon Bar- Barkley is one of the most devalued generational prospects we've ever seen. Yeah. And uh, that guy. There's there's no argument that Daniel Jones has all the weapons he could possibly ask for. I mean, if Dayball doesn't do something with that offense, it's going to be a concern and, and a mark against this whole team. They, they've got to put it together this year. I think there's a good shot that they will. You know, it's it's like, uh, let's call it 70% that they, that they improve over, over the past year. And if they do, it's going to be fun to watch. You know, there's going to be a lot of fantasy points scored. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and, and if he fails in, uh, you know, in the giants, it's just, it'll be status quo at this point. You know, they, yeah. they hit their peak a, little, a couple years ago. Right. Yeah. It's not like you put it all on the line for that trade. So I think it's fine. Yeah. So next trade uh, it's, it's not mine. Uh, but it's in a you know twelve team superflex league uh, rookie draft is Rashad White in Debo for Elijah Moore the two hundred five was turned to Wandale and the the two hundred four was turned to John Mitchie. There were all other running backs available after Rashad White for this. Uh, he was the fourth running back taken off the board after James Cook. Yeah. Okay. So give me your take on this situation between. Um, the the new guy on the Jets, uh, Garrett Wilson, uh, yeah, and and uh, and our guy uh, Elijah Moore, like who, who's the wide receiver one there? Because my understanding is that Garrett Wilson is like maybe the most pro ready receiver in this class in terms of his route running, um, but people love Elijah Moore too. Who's the number one there? Yeah, that uh, I'm not interested in overpaying for uh, for any of these guys. Uh, I just want Brees Hall. Like that's the, 
Like, like Garrett Wilson could be like Elijah Moore had some great flashes last year, but it, it wasn't with Zach Wilson. Uh, Zach Wilson has a lot of growing up to do uh, in that offense. And I don't necessarily trust it yet, but I do trust that they can manufacture a better running game this year with an elite talent, a talent like Brees Hall. So with Elijah Moore, with Garrett Wilson, uh, to me, they're, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's like you're, you're putting, uh, you know, two A's out on the field and we're going to put them and move them around. That's good for Zach Wilson, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be the, uh, it, it's not going to be this like prolific offense in the passing game. Like right. it's, it's, it's grounded in the, the run game and then the running back receiving game to me to develop Zach Wilson into the future, because he's a right. bad decision maker uh, yeah. that we've seen so far. Exactly. Like, he exactly. has ar- he has arm talent, but it's not it's not great arm talent, uh, and so we want to see this work. So that's why I'm very excited to draft Brees Hall and have Brees Hall and, and get him wherever I can. But the 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 rest of it, I think you're overpaying for where you're going to get in in fantasy points first and foremost for your dynasty teams, and then second uh, value to your team. Yeah. I I would take the Debo side here just because Debo, right? I mean that guy is a beast and even if they don't give him all those running back rushes and, and just let him go be a receiver again, which it sounds like is what he wants. Um, he is the best player, I think on that team. I mean, he can do everything on the offense. Um, he, he is a clear weapon. He's a beast. And I, I just want that guy on my fantasy team. I don't have any of them. And, and it makes me sad a little bit. Rashad white, I think is a nice prospect and given the uncertainty around Elijah Moore, and then, you know, picking up Wandale and John Mechie, those are, you know, they they could turn into something. They're high-quality dart throws. But nothing about the Elijah Moore, Wandale, John Mechie side makes me, like, smack my lips in in excitement. You know, whereas Debo, it's like, it's just a clear asset, uh, and I would take it. So my, my biggest concern about Debo is that we just saw his peak season. Uh, mo- moving into, uh, you know, last year, let me find it here. Let me find it here. I mean, he certainly got more opportunity than he's ever going to get because of all those running back rushes, but like he can be more efficient than he was in the previous years. And, and I think still return like top five wide receiver numbers without difficulty. See, I, I disagree with the move with, to, to, to Trey Lance. So Debo had eight rushing touchdowns last year. Uh, and you know he's he's uh one he's he was injury prone in his first couple of years and he'll yeah. move to just wide receiver but I don't San Francisco is not going to be a prolific passing game I, I if it's going to be Trey Lance it's not going to be for the next year at least Trey Lance isn't going to come into his first starting season after basically two years off and right. be this you know this slanger of the ball around the field I mean he's going to have to try because that division is brutal right. uh. Uh, you know, minus Seattle, which might just be, you know, 150 rushes when it's this, uh, the Seahawks versus Niners. But, you know, starting week nine, uh, he had – Debo had, a, you know, a minimum of five rushes, and he only averaged five targets. So week nine on last year, his, his main value came from the rushing game. And eight rushing touchdowns, that's so many fantasy points. Uh, he did, you know, he, he put up a ton of receiving yards and everything like that, but the, the offense is changing. And we also, the, the thing that I love about Debo though, is that he's still holding out and could get traded. And unless he goes to the Eagles, there's, <laughs> there's, there may be no worse situation that he can go to. 
uh, is a pass catcher. I, I mean, this is the thing is like, I hear what you're saying and, and that's all good reasoning as far as discussing situation goes. I, I am concerned long-term about his health because he has this angry running style and that's what makes him so effective on the field. That said, he is so good at football, right? And I just think that the Niners, if they keep him, uh, you know, Trey Lance, obviously his passing, it could be a concern. But the reason why he was able to get in the end zone so many times is because he's bonkers good on the field, right? It's just like put the ball in this guy's hands. And he well, was one of the best NFL players. Don't get me wrong. Right. And, and so I just think like in this situation, I'm always going to be happy to bet on that kind of talent, right? There's always risks. There's always concerns about situation. And I agree. This situation is not better for him than it has been. That said, when you watch this guy play, it's just like, you know, who stops him? Who can stop him really? Like, I just think the Niners are going to find any way they can to get the ball in his hands and watch the magic happen. Yeah. Also I would take Rashad white and Debo over Elijah Moore, Wando Robinson, John Mechie. For what it's right. worth, yeah. Like the 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 picks are available and what you could get. Uh, I I just have a. What do you if you're paying peak prices for Debo right now? I think I think we just saw Debo's best season. It's possible. That, that, that's okay. That's okay. Like give me ninety. Give me ninety. Ninety five percent of that. Right. It's still, a, exactly. a, you know, going to be a great trade piece. Exactly. But I'm, I'm not I, betting against him. He's too good. I would bet against that this was that this is best fantasy point season though. Possibly, but yeah, right. I mean, anything. Well, of course, possibly. That. I mean, was, was, where did he come in at the end? Was he wide receiver one at the end of last year? No, it was Cooper Cup. Oh, right. Of course, of course. But was he two? Oh, I gotta look. It depends right. on your scoring format. Everything. Don't matters. worry about it. Yeah, we can. Uh, we can go to these rankings if you wanna if you wanna push another subject. Well, yeah, the, the hardest part is the the eight, eight, like eight rushing touchdowns for a wide receiver is insane, right? Uh, but again, yeah, that's that's talent that come that turned into opportunity. They're gonna get him that opportunity. He's the best. So, but what's your what's what's your peak? Uh, let's say Trey Lance is the starter for the the Niners for the whole season. How many? What's the maximum amount of touchdowns you could see him throw? I mean, I, my concern is like, we haven't really seen him play enough to, to guess that I, I'm going to imagine that he comes in around like say 28, something like that. I think his ceiling could be, I don't know. I mean, is like, is 35 an insane thing to say? No, no, not at all. Uh, you know, cause Lamar Jackson led the league in passing touchdowns with, I think 34 one season right. when it was 16 games. And again, I, I've always tried to uh, kind of bring back stats to the, the fantasy season so Mm -hmm. but in general like trey lance i my peak for trey lance in in my head absolute like dream peak is like 30 30 touchdown passes right sure i'll take that i'll take 30 yeah and then uh the rushes that Debo were was getting to score touchdowns and trey lance is gonna scoop up some of those might not like if we're going absolute peak yeah yeah you might return value but that's a tough gamble to make Yep. I, I hear your arguments. I, I just still think he's too good to discount fully. Yeah. And it, I completely agree, but I would be more willing to sell high than buy high at this moment, I guess. I, yeah. Okay. I, I think you're convincing me. I I'm coming around to your very reasoned argument. 
Uh, in this specific trade too, uh, since Jake is on the, on the cast tonight, uh, I'm also not as, as high on Elijah Moore as he is. Uh, that Elijah Moore is a mess. Uh, yeah. I, lo- I love his talent. I, I you know I love all, everything he did on the field when he flashed, but he hasn't flashed with Zach Wilson enough. And uh, they just drafted a wide receiver even higher. Exactly. And they, and they added two pass catching tight ends, and like it's and a better pass catching running back. It's a uh, yeah. He's he's got Wilson worries. He's he's got to deal with Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson, and yeah, a stellar new running back that's going to take touches. You know. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of opportunity, right? Now, maybe his transcendent talent can differentiate himself from the rest of that team and, and he ends up being bonkers. Um, you know, that's that's a roll of the dice. And I, I don't think it's there's it's in any way clear that that gives him a path to beating out Debo, which I think is the, the key question here. Yeah, and, and you know, when we're talking about Dynasty too, you're looking into the future, but this team has clearly said that like this isn't the answer for the long term when you go up and draft wide receiver what was Garrett Wilson 12th uh, yeah. overall so moving on uh to any free agent wide receivers left out there the market matter to you so I'm looking at Julio Jones I think Julio Jones is like the it, it boggles my mind that Julio Jones does not sign with the Colts yet uh you have a, a dome you have Matt Ryan uh you have cap space you have everything you would ever want you have a weak receiving core uh besides Michael Pittman like the rest of the receiving core uh, is like a Paris Campbell who will play, he will flash maybe the first game of the season, maybe in like the preseason game uh, and get injured. Yeah. Uh, Julio Jones games. Exactly. Yeah. Like, but to, to pair Julio back with Matt Ryan is, is the most, uh, I, I can't believe that hasn't happened yet anyway. But yeah. so Julio Jones, Will Fuller, uh, T.Y. Hilton and a lesser extent, and even Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders out there. Uh, OBJ is as well. I don't think that factors too much because OBJ may not play for, for, for quite a few weeks. And then I added here just on Jackson probably doesn't matter. Uh, one guy I think is fascinating is Adam Humphreys. Uh, oh. but we'll, we'll get into that anyway. So Julio Jones, uh, let's just go Julio Jones and Will Fuller. If they sign it anywhere, it doesn't matter to you. I mean, I certainly, I don't think you can discount Julio to the Colts if that happens. Like that's, you, you got to pay attention. That said, like he's getting old and, you know, they've got a big bodied receiver there. So if they're trying to add someone to their receiving core, I don't think it's another super tall guy. Right. Um, And so in a way, it's like I almost feel like you could just as easily argue that Will Fuller to the Colts could happen, right? Ty is gone, probably washed. Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, these guys are really old now. Will Fuller obviously had that PED thing, but if he can come back from that and be as fast as he has been in the past, you know, he's always a threat to score touchdowns. So I'll be interested in that. But you know, the only person that like I think really has the opportunity to get back to like top 10 status on this entire list is everything yeah and he's like the long-term ad to how you value things in dynasty uh julio first of all is not just a tall receiver he was one of the best wide receivers in nfl history uh i think i think by far and I, he, I'm, not, I'm certainly not gonna argue with that the dude is bonkers he's he's like ascendant talent yeah, uh, to say say that he's just a tall receiver compared to Michael Pittman, uh, Julio probably outweighs him by you know forty five fifty pounds and can still jump higher than him. I'd almost guarantee. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a uh, 
so I, I, I just can't believe Julio hasn't signed with the Colts yet. Anyway, uh, Will Fuller has small hands and went to Notre Dame, so I struggle with his value overall. He really flashed with Deshaun Watson. But if he were to – like, if Will Fuller were to sign with, you, you know, the, the, the Packers, he's going to take a big value bump, and that's going to move some of the other pieces in different directions, being that the only piece you really care about, I think, is Christian Watson. Uh, you're, you're not looking at like Al Lazar's is a fine player, but he, you know, he's, he, it's fine at best. It, it, like nobody expects Al Lazar to put up a, a wide receiver one season this year and into the future. Uh, that whole Packers offense is enigma. So I think if either of those two guys goes there, uh, Cole Beasley, uh, he, you know, he's basically a more athletic uh, Adam Humphreys and will be cheap going to a team. So I don't think that matters at all. Uh, quickly moving on from this, since we don't really care about this overall, we've decided that those signings won't really matter unless it's OBJ for long-term value. If he signs a long-term contract, because he's not going to sign a one-year prove it deal. Uh, Daryl Williams to the Cardinals. So Ben, this, uh, this kind of hits up, it hits on my heart because he's one of my dynasty darlings. Uh, cause he was named like the, you know, the captain and the top leader, of uh, the locker room for LSU and his, his last year there in college. And I was like, you need to get this guy. He's going to the chiefs. Like, and he has, he has shown so many spike weeks uh, at Kansas city, uh, even including last season. Now he moves to the Cardinals and he may slot into, he's like the, he's like, he's like the safety back for that team. And I'm yeah. very excited to, for him to be there. You know, he has, he, he finished as a top 10, three times, uh, last season and was the number one running back in, uh, in week 10 in PPR yeah. last year. Yeah. I, I, I think when James Conner goes down, which he certainly will for a couple games, Daryl Williams is going to slot in really nice there. I think the only question like season long that matters if you're really trying to project him as like a, you know, uh, uh, RB one or two, um, is either a James Conner injury or whether you think he can steal goal line touches from James, James Conner. I, I don't think he can. If James Conner goes down, I think Daryl Williams is going to be bumped. But, but failing that, I think the Cardinals have their goal line back. They're happy with their situation, and, and he's an he's a insurance policy. Yeah, this is the, this is the fantasy doldrums, Ben. <laughs> this, is the, this is how di- like deep we're diving. Uh, <laughs> I tout, so last offseason, I touted James Conner. And this is I've tooted my own my own horn uh, many a times, saying that like Kenyon Drake had one of the most like he was maybe first or second most in the NFL in rushes inside the five. And I was like, James Conner is a better goal line back than Kenyon Drake. You need to grab him right now. He's he's super cheap. To me, Darrell Williams is the like uh, you know Keontae Ingram went there. He's a much more athletic. Uh, you know he his his upside is is very high. But uh, I, I still think Darrell Williams at this point in time is, is one of those great uh, bench stashes on the team. Yeah, love that call for sure. Go pick up Darrell Williams. Go go grab him, trade him for a 2023 third, whatever. If, if you're in win now mode, Darrell Williams, F yeah. I'll sign on to that. All right, we should just get into the two-minute warning here. Uh, right. So so one, my, my rapid fire is uh, Derrick Henry is an interesting – uh, trade target in dynasty leagues. So I, I just put in a couple here. Uh, would you rather have Derrick Henry 
or James Cook and Rashad White? Um, for just this year, or we're just talking dynasty team. It's all dynasty. Okay. Uh, man, I think I might go James Cook, Rashad White. Like I, I obviously I love that production, but I don't know how many more years it can last. I'm guessing, let's say 1.5. Whereas I think we've got a nice hashtag two to three year window on on those two rookies. So let's I'll take the rookies. Okay, so in Superflex, that's like uh, you know, around 112. And two, let's just say 201 for Derrick yep. Henry. Uh, the next one, because I'm very curious about James Cook's value overall. Uh, because I think I would trade, in a nutshell, the 112 and 201 for Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I would trade James Cook and Rashad White for Derrick Henry. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's like if, you know, people might be grabbing other receivers there or something like that it's always interesting to, to look at it through those two different lenses. Cause I think you're right when you, I mean, in effect in this year's draft, the two Oh one is another late first. So we're asking, are you trading him for, for two late first? And I think when I put it that way, I'm like, look, look how far we are in his career. Look how much tread there is off those tires. Give me the picks. Yeah. It's hard because Derrick Henry is such a fantasy producer. So I get both sides of it. I get both sides of it. Uh, yeah. there's going to be more injuries though he's he's getting older it, it, the best his best is behind him to what, what my struggle is is i think james cook has the potential to be elite uh i really do so yep. that's the their shot their shot white side is is fine um, well and, and you gotta love that placement right i mean that that landing spot in buffalo is so coveted and i i just think like he has every opportunity to be bonker. I don't know if I would call him elite, right? I don't think he is, he's got the skills of Dalvin Cook, but I mean, he's got the opportunity on a bonkers offense. Like it's, it's certainly something that I'd be willing to put money on, you know, like give it a shot. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, the next one, and we'll just skip to the next one without James Cook, uh, AJ Dillon and Tyrion Davis Price. AJ Dillon is one of the, the hottest players on the streets uh, in Dynasty at this moment. I, is it weird that every time I see Tyrion Davis Price, all I can think of is Tyrion Lannister? Like, I just picture <laughs> him as Peter Dinklage, and I'm like, that guy's not going to be good at football. <laughs> he's, he's unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> but also, uh, Tyrion survives. Uh, and he outlasts everybody and he, that's true oh uh, i see what you did there nice one he, he may be the best lannister so yeah totally he's he's conniving he's wise beyond his height um, uh, and if you ha- and if you haven't read the books you don't even know right totally totally so yeah i mean yeah the, the aj dylan one is tasty here i i'm gonna be honest with you i know nothing about Tyrion lannister except that he has the name of Tyrion lannister but, uh, you know, I mean, if he's Deese, I'd probably find that pretty appealing. I think A.J. Dillon, you know, I mean, the upside, you just cannot, you cannot argue against that. So, you know, Tyrion Davis-Price, like your, your buddy Jake's got him ranked seventh in his rookie rankings. That might be a little optimistic. Se- seventh in, in running backs. Oh, in running back rankings. Okay, sorry, hold on. It, uh, in, his, in the total rankings, he's down at 25th. Oof. I don't know. That's pretty late. I think I might have to, I might have to stick with, uh, with Derek on this one, actually. 
Yeah, so mo most trade calculators have uh, A.G. Dillon rated pretty highly and uh, Derrick Henry kind of fallen off his career. So that's the – it's just like, kind of like an interesting concept yeah. uh, for, for a trade. Uh, for me in that one, I, I still think that we are not buying into enough of what Derrick Henry even did last year before he got hurt. And yeah. like his first I mean, injury as a peak producer. And exactly. he's also – he is a unicorn. Uh you yeah. like like uh he is a, a you know a less instinctive but bigger version of adrian peterson in an offense is going to run the ball yeah if i am looking to compete for this season and win now uh I, th I think the cheapest piece you can add to your team for like the the biggest boost is uh derrick henry yeah i i can't argue with that and it's like you know, when you look at that trade, right, it's like, okay, maybe like you're getting slightly more value with the rookie and AJ Dillon, but like get, get me something better on the name cash of, of Derrick Henry, right? He's just too good to let go. Like, right. The possibility. And I mean, I don't think he's going to be like ranked in the top five as a dynasty running back again, but he can return top five running back numbers for two years, I think. Uh, and you know, I mean, that's, that's an upside, right? That's a ceiling, but you got to be able to get something better than, than AJ Dillon in a, in a, you know, third round rookie pick for that. Yeah. Uh, Derek Henry still has a league, a league winning season. Um, exactly. It's the way I, like, that's well, and that, that I feel like often gets lost in dynasty that like these guys are league winners. Right. Go, go win your league. That's what matters. Championships. Everything else is just hand waving. Yeah, it's uh. So we will uh we'll close it off here. Let me give the the outro real quick, and then we'll move into the after hours for a second. Uh, you can, you know, Ben. First of all, thank you for your time. You've been amazing. The Dark Sorcerer has was incredible. Uh, you can find the rest of us, uh, the Fan Joes, on Twitter. Jake, who is uh, is at Takes with Jake. Uh, I am at Fantasy Joe underscore Will. Ryan is at at Order Librarian. We are also on Twitter at the Fancy Joes. You help us make the show better by becoming a Patreon supporter for as little as a dollar in a month uh, at patreon.com slash fantasy Joes. Yeah. Uh, after do that, <laughs> yeah, uh, do it and do it large. If you want to follow my strange antics on Twitter, I'm at BenjaMTG. I'm also a Magic Gathering player. Little known fact. You're, you're at what? At Benja and MTG, B A N J B E N J M T G. Ooh, what does that mean? It's just Benjamin Magic the Gathering, basically. I started it to follow Magic players. Ooh, are you an active Magic player still? I am. I love Magic. Magic is is actually even closer to my heart than fantasy football. Oh. That's uh, I almost got into it when I was little, uh, because I started collecting like Star Wars cards. Like, yep. uh, in Davenport, Iowa, we'd have a bunch of like card gatherings there, where just a bunch of older like hawks would come in to take advantage of the little kids, <laughs> like back in the day. <laughs> totally. Right, uh, and you'd see all the magic cards, and you want to get into it. Yeah, one one of the great magic players, Brad Nelson's Twitter handle is at ffreak. He uh, used to be a fantasy player too. If you like fantasy football. You like games and you like competitive games and magic is just about the most competitive game out there. What makes you a great magic player? Um, 
I think, you know, honestly, just like I am, I am a, a good competitor and I care more about having fun than winning. Um, you know, obviously I like to win and I'll always try hard to win, but at the end of the day, I'm just as happy for my opponents when they win as I am when I win. Yeah. That's a, well, like, like in how you compose your deck and, and what you're playing and. Yeah. I mean, you know, me evil magic. Do you talk, do you talk trash at the table? Oh yeah. There's always a little bit of trash talk. You know, it, it makes the game more fun when, uh, when you get to like take the make a little bit from your opponents. Yeah. As well, no, that's a, like everybody just needs to take a relax about the competitiveness, competitiveness yeah. at, of this, uh, one Ben, something I learned about you since we're in the, the after hours, uh, is that you're, uh, you, you have your PhD, you, uh, I, I, almost downloaded your dissertation it was 216 pages uh, uh not not i'm not gonna read through that it all honesty tldr but you're big into uh artificial intelligence ethics right I mean, this is based on your linkedin profile i have some other questions about that about the feedback but i, I can say that because i have some jokes about it great Great. Yeah, I've been doing uh, data ethics consulting now for uh, pushing 10 years. Um, my firm uh, consults with some very large organizations to uh, help them in developing processes around governance to help them make better decisions, um, basically to improve the fairness practices around their algorithm for content moderation and recommendations. So uh, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time now, and uh, I've always found it really interesting. And I get to continue to be a philosopher in my professional life, which is very satisfying. Yeah, big time philosophy major. I was almost, so my first philosophy class in college, was super intrigued by it. The second philosophy college I took in uh, was, uh, it, the, the class was called Kant, because I was fascinated by Kant. And Kant, uh, Kant is the best. But it was, uh, it was like, a, I, was, I was going into my sophomore year, and it was like a, a 300 level class. And it was a big mistake for a 19-year-old uh, Will Greenwood going into that room. Like he's like, you know, most of you, mo most of all of you, will want to write a paper on this. The rest of you people can take a test. Uh, we'll go through it. He was, at, you know, in Iowa City, which is uh, let's say like four and a half hour drive away from Chicago. He was based out of Chicago. Would come in once a night, once a week. Uh, and I was like, this is this is a little bit too intense for what I what I signed up for. I made. Uh, mistakes and when I was going into that I'm fascinated by philosophy and so that, that's why I was very interested in this uh, yeah but well I, I should qualify what I said earlier when I said Kant is the best because actually my favorite philosophers are Nietzsche and Foucault and certainly you know no one will be surprised to hear that the dark sorcerer's favorite philosopher is Nietzsche um, well, with nobody, respect, else, nobody uh, also would be surprised by the dark sorcerer having several favorite philosophers. <laughs> the dark sorcerer reads a lot. You know, it takes a lot of intellect to do all this evil magic. Um, what is but, what is virtue? Let's go. Yeah, but uh, when it comes to Kant, you know, I, I think the key thing about him and his importance in the history of philosophy is that, like, when you look back on his work, which was written in the 19th century like he is still the most right philosopher about the relationship between our experience of reality and reality itself, right? He distinguished between the noumenal realm and the phenomenal realm and basically said like the noumenal realm is beyond our kin. It's, it's dinging on sich things in themselves. Right. And that the phenomenal realm is like the reality as we experience it. And that's why his 
view, like kind of the title of his view is transcendental idealism, right? That it's like, we are creating reality collaboratively through our experience and the categories and forms of intuition. So the forms of intuition are essentially like almost like emergent properties of our bodies and consciousness. And then the categories are generated by human interaction, right? Like, and so as a social philosopher, and, and I really think that one of the most important things we can realize about philosophy is that like even science has social truth-making components. That doesn't mean that truth is whatever you want it to be or that there's no such thing as truth, right? We're in a very like concerning world in terms of being like post-truth. But, um, and, and so I'm not saying there is no truth or that we should just dismiss science as being equally as good as every other truth. Science is by far the best truth-making practice that we have available. And to dismiss science as, as being anything but the most valuable truth-making practice we have is foolish. But at the same time, we have to recognize the social components of truth-making in science in order to be good scientists and good philosophers. And I think that the kernel of that wisdom is in Kant, and that's his key contribution to the history of philosophy. That was a great statement. Uh, overall, just to like, just to like, uh, live, like live by it. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's, uh, it's always good to do your philosophy. It, it makes, uh, it makes the long nights when you're wondering who you are and what it all means a lot easier. Well, you go sit out by the bonfire, you know, maybe have a couple of, uh, fun, you know, you know, fun stuff and, uh, right. Ha- have a glass of scotch, cast some evil spells. Yeah. And, you know, create, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the that yeah in, in in our society the source of truth is 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 muddled at best uh, at, at this point and I even think uh, a lot of a lot of science and it, when you do historical science and what we're looking for the the questions of truth are very important and what we're trying to find but the the core of what what is absolute truth versus what you should take away from it like can be different uh, it's it's really really tough because some of our best societal history is some of some of it's in some of the hardest to reach places on earth uh when you look at the you know like the middle east and what we can research and what's in there what we can find and we can really discover about ancient populations what they were what they did how advanced they were everything like that uh you're you're basically not allowed to go there anymore because the world is the way it is now and when it comes to scientific evidence on that side uh i wish i just wish we would have more about it uh, and totally. science always questions itself, but science also has the problem of, uh, you know, I, it's basically like old, old white males that are protected from the position that don't want other people to research things that can disprove them. And that, that has taken us into an interesting point in to research now in time. And so I, yeah, well, you, you can know, relate I, that I, back I, to philosophy and the, the whole like core of science and truth is uh, there are some things that are very obviously truths, but in our, our time and ages, yeah, anyway. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's a good scientist who just wants to be not refuted for the sake of not being refuted, right? I mean, the point is that people are right for the right reasons, that when we're working on de- developing truth, um, on creating truth, on generating facts through scientific practices, you know, people want to be right because it, is better for the world when we understand more about the reality we live in. Um, and so, you know, there's no point in just like challenging scientific beliefs for the sake of challenging them, right? The point is to be right about them and to create a, a, a more 
clear understanding of reality so that we can do things better in this world. And when yeah. we look around us, you know, everything that is good, or at least so much that's good about the, this world that we all share, despite all of its shortcomings, uh, emerges from the relationship between science and technology and the way that they've sort of leapfrogged through history in order to, to bring us these uh, these new capabilities um, that allow us to live longer, richer lives, um, and hopefully to ultimately to be more fulfilled in what we do. Uh, you know, we don't always achieve that mark. Um, and I think there's a lot to say about political economy and, um, and the way that, uh, you know, a, a, the way that politics and, and economic practices um, have kind of enmeshed to create the reality that we have. Um, and in some sense, we have those modalities to thank for our scientific and technology practices, but we now need to use our best scientific practices to continue to improve all our modes of knowledge making in order to make this world uh, better and, and continue to, to improve it for, for all, all living beings, not just humans. Yeah, and the, the, the core of uh, what somebody feels they're right about when it's picked apart on the fringes uh, is tough on, on all sides, of, on all spectrums of everything. But the core of what somebody believes versus what somebody else believes, uh, it's one, uh, the the fringes, I feel like we focus too much on versus the core. You know, when you look at like historical research and what we're doing and what actual, it, it, you can't say that they're, when you're like studying history and everything like that, or like in projecting and making your opinions, uh, not every single word you say is going to be perfect. Uh, and when those fringes of the, like what you're doing are dissected and, but the core is lost in those dissections, I feel like, because difference opinion, I don't know, difference opinion in my mind is what makes us human. Uh, it's what we need. It's what we need to have. Uh, if the whole world thought the same, we're in a very dangerous spot uh, I overall. I agree. So, yep. Uh, you know, there's a very interesting book on this subject um, by Willard Van Orman Quine called The Web of Belief that I highly recommend if you're interested in thinking about this, right? Because it's like we all have a lot of core assumptions and beliefs that we share. And as you say, like we're debating the fringes and and in some sense, you know, I, I often wish that, you know, we could find unity more in this country around like the direction that would lead us to more positive outcomes, more rich and fulfilling lives for all the people that live here. Um, but we have allowed, you know, a combination of the news media and our politicians to divide us. Um, I think for the purposes of their own ends rather than for, for our own benefit. And so we are at a moment of, of really needing to think carefully about, um, about what truths we are uh, willing to accept and which ones we want to uh, really go to bat for and, and push for. Yeah. Uh, I completely, uh, I agree. Also, that's why I love dissecting Jake's rankings because I like to look at the fringes and tear them apart for those versus the core belief of who he thinks <laughs> is good at football and isn't. Uh, just to well, make it a little bit lighter. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, leave, uh, we'll leave Jake's uh, rankings for your compatriots. So quickly, Ben, as, as a, you know, a doctor, uh, one of your recommendations on LinkedIn, I, I went ahead and copied and pasted and uh, there, there is a sentence that's, that uh, reads, uh, Ben led the team that created the assessments and metadata tagging system, and I led the team that developed the lessons. We often facilitate collaboration between our teams of remote contractors in an agile environment to ensure that the lessons and assignments aligned. 
How angry are you that she capitalized the word agile? Uh, well, agile in that context is a proper noun because we're talking about the project management technique. Uh, so, so, so it's like ag agile TM. What's that? It's like ag agile TM. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's it's like uh, you know, it's like um, the the project management practice that uh, a lot of software development teams use. So it it is correctly capitalized there. Well, <laughs> for you. Uh, f fair enough. And I, I am uh, suitably humbled. <laughs> also, uh, what is active genealogy? So active genealogy um, is, so uh, maybe you're familiar with Nietzsche's book, The Genealogy of Morality, um, which nope. is basically where he explores the theoretical heritage of our, uh, of our ethical concepts. Um, so he just, he compares between the ethical sort of um, like tension between good and bad versus good and evil. And so in my dissertation, I engaged in a practice I called ethical or active genealogy, which is basically um, trying to engage in genealogical practices, looking at the history of concepts to more effectively scrutinize and then um, effectively like recognize, reject and recreate the socio-psychological scientific formations that we collectively create our reality with. Um, so I ascribe to a philosophical view that I call narrative determinism. And basically active genealogy is like a technique or a method within narrative determinism, narrative determinism that allows us to more intentionally question and recreate the social and knowledge-making formations that we use to create the world. That's so much over my head. I wish I had a better comment uh, for the after hours of this podcast. Uh, yeah, it was great though. Well, I, just, I'm like glad we could, uh, we could delve deep into all of my philosophical knowledge. I, I well, until until you're coming to the podcast, one didn't know you're a PhD. Uh, two, then just read your, through your LinkedIn profile and found that somebody capitalized a word that you uh, a common person. I was like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> it makes sense in your field. <laughs> Agile, TM. Pretty common product, uh, project, project management technique. So, you know, maybe you should give it a shot in your own job. Well, I've heard of Agile in that sense, but it did, it did not seem like it was, I mean, it was like, it was like an eight year ago review. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It may not be in fashion anymore. That, that comment was, was posted quite some time ago. <laughs> so it's interesting. Uh, so, uh, you know, coming up through the uh, student teaching, because I, I got my teaching license, thought I was going to be a high school teacher uh, growing up. The amount of uh, different words like agile that would be used, that would be a proper noun, you know, versus just, you know, or proper, whatever. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, yeah, but the, the, it, it, it was like a flow. It was like you would have the business side of education coming in and teaching all these things. Like I, when I was student teaching, I was learning something that uh, my mom, who had been a first grade teacher for, you know, like, like 20 years, uh, she had, they had just went through that like three years ago. And now we had a new program coming into our school and teaching us this thing. So that's why I'm, I'm just super curious about that because there, there is a business side of education that I find, I find absolutely fascinating and that whole world is a complete mess. Totally. That, that totally. I, I do not have the fix for. So 
I don't actively complain or talk about it because I, you know, I haven't done the research since, but uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, well, when it comes to education technology, you know, I mean, the, I think the number one thing we've got to do is always support teachers. I think you cannot have a good school. You cannot create a good education for our children without teachers who are well-trained and well-paid, right? They've got to be incentivized to be there, show up every day and do their best. So first of all, my hat's off to your mother for, for teaching. And um, it's great that you got trained. And if you ever go back into teaching, then my spirit is with you. It is especially in the climate that we are in right now with the violence at schools, a thankless, poorly paid job. And the number one thing that needs to happen is that, uh, you know, that the education technology solutions are designed to support teachers and not replace them. And I think that was a big mistake that was made, you know, uh, over the course of between like 15 and five years ago of thinking like, oh, we can just get some great technology in here and then the computers will teach the kids and not the teachers. That is a terrible, terrible approach to teaching our children. We have got to get behind the educators in this country and make sure that they are resourced to do possibly the most important job uh, in this country for our future. If we are not educating our children, then we have no future in this country. Yeah, I mean, that's our that's our future is, is a, a global community. And yeah, giving a, a bunch of kids a bunch of tablets uh, does not tailored to their learning style and you learn about everybody's different learning style and now you can do it anyway. Uh, this was, a uh, what, and we'll end it at, uh, that, uh, teachers are great and we should support them. Yes. So, absolutely. That's the end of the after hours. Yep. Thanks. Will. great being here. Really enjoyed it. You guys have an awesome podcast. I listen to it a lot and I wish you many further years of success. Ben, you're the best. <laughs>